Welcome to the Producers Podcast. In this episode, we have Spencer Fulmer. I'm really excited about this episode. I have wanted to talk to Spencer for a while and learn a little bit about how he went about selling his previous films and how he's going about selling his current film. He's one of the most legitimate director producers that I've met in quite a while. He's super passionate about what he does and uh, has some really interesting insights he leaves for us in this episode. If you are interested in the business side of movie making, this episode is for you. Welcome to the show, Spencer. I'm glad to have you on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, I've been wanting to kind of pick your brain a little bit for a while, so I'm excited to be able to talk to you. Uh, For the audience, do you want to give a little introduction of uh, who you are and uh, where you come from, what you're working on? Sure thing. Uh, My name's Spencer Fulmar, director and producer. I live and work out here in Los Angeles, but I grew up in central Pennsylvania. Um, I went to a small college called Grove City College in Western PA. went to NYU for my MFA in film. And I've been out here on the West Coast for about seven years in L.A., three years. Working on uh, a movie on the opioid epidemic, which I shot in Central PA, shoot most of my films in Pennsylvania. And um, the opioid epidemic film is titled Shooting Heroin. Mm. <laughs> Appropriate. It's pretty, it's pretty to the point, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, and I like your whole, um, I mean, so your, your films are primarily faith-based, but they're not uh, the typical, I guess, I would say soft faith films because you call them hard faith mm-hmm. films, right? Do you want to explain what <laughs> yeah, that means a little good. bit? I like that. Soft faith. Man, I'm going to yeah. write that down. They're not your typical <laughs> soft faith films. That's brilliant. Um, yeah, they're not soft faith, which anyway, a hard faith is, um, for me, uh, I just like to, I think the reason anyone questions their existence or questions a higher power, um, their purpose in life, Usually whenever they get to those questions of the heart and of purpose and meaning of life, it's usually brought on by some life event. You know, maybe you're just becoming self-aware, but often um, these questions where you ask, where's God? What's my purpose? These questions usually come right after, unfortunately, a tragedy um, or trauma in your life. Sure. And so for hard faith films, we just want to show accurately how people often search for God. It isn't for because you want to win the football game or it isn't because you want last to come home <laughs> or Free Willy Part 4. It, it's because, you know, generational sins is an alcoholic father and a son was trying to reconcile with him. With opioid epidemic, you know, it's about trying to save kids from dying in the local high school. So these are matters of the heart. These are pressing issues. And the world uh, in which we live in is R-rated. You know, as much as parents may want to censor um, how harsh the world can be, ultimately everyone's going to find out and everyone has experienced just how gritty the world in which we live in every day. It doesn't take, you know, you just watch your local news or your newspaper in any town and it's R-rated. And those people are going through real events and real, you know, tragedies. And so it just, I feel like most soft faith films are dishonoring the human existence and how tough it can be to have faith in a good God while suffering tremendously in this life. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting uh, angle to be taking with. And also, I mean, there's something to, you know, films have to be, to get people to watch them, especially the people you want to, uh, that might, you know, really need to see a message like that. You have to be able to entertain. And it's got to be, mm-hmm. there's got to be conflict. 
and intensity right. to it. And I think you do a really good job with that. And I know, you know, from personal experience and plenty of people around me, it's like the 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 kind of overt preachiness of some faith films turns people off. Because, I, I mean, unless you're already buying yeah. into it, then why would you want to watch that film? And what you're doing is telling right. a story that is relatable to anybody, regardless of their their position on faith currently and you know the those two films specifically generational traumas and the opioid epidemic are such huge dark pits of despair in our country right now that i think it's interesting to be tackling those things what i find interesting is that you found a bit of an international market for some of your films uh (laughs) that is crazy (laughs) yeah how do you find that that works um with the films kind of being based around things that seem like they're American issues. Right. Yeah. Faith films typically don't export well at all internationally. You know, American faith is something that's somewhat unique. You know, Europe is uh, pretty agnostic overall, but they just, they definitely don't like American faith-based films or soft faith films. So it's a tough export to begin with. Some countries like China have censorship laws that you can't export there, period, usually, unless they change stuff. So what's remarkable about Generational Sins is that it has enjoyed uh, a very healthy international life cycle. First, we went up on this streaming website called Christian Cinema in 15 Countries about a month after the release. Actually, let me take that back. It it may have been two months, actually, or three. So it went up in 15 countries on streaming. Streaming did very well. It was really um, exported well to South America. Uh, There's a lot of, you know, Catholicism and spirituality in South yeah. America. So that, that, that made sense. What was surprising was, for instance, we got on this Chinese airline, one of the major Chinese airlines, we had a pay-per-view deal with them. And it's been paying off quite well. It's still ongoing. And the last couple of paychecks have really surprised us. I mean, the film is came out in October 2017. So it's a year and a half old. And we're getting mm-hmm. new monies, you know, bigger and bigger checks every every quarter. And then another interesting deal was South Africa, one of their three main channels, cable channels, um, national channels, Generational Sins was featured on there for a week. Oh, wow. And we got, yeah, we got a crazy fan base from South Africa, which is just, you know, just mind blowing. And now our international distributors are going into Brazil with a possible theatrical offering there as well. That's impressive. That's, so you, um, you said the distributor, do you have a singular distributor or do you have have you kind of worked out deals with a bunch of different ones? Do you have a sales agent? How's that working for you? Yeah, so we spent a long time trying to find the right suitors for Generational Sins and for our Hard Faith brand because we knew we couldn't just, you know, our films are R-rated or PG-13. Sometimes there's language. It's dealing with adult issues. It's dealing with all the things and showing the world in which faith-based films don't. So we didn't want to go with a faith-based distributor. And honestly, they wouldn't touch anything that we made because they have a <laughs> yeah. certain formula. So we looked at a sales agent and we looked at many sales agents, but still just to like educate our sales agent, what kind of distributor partner that we were looking for, it almost took too much work that we just decided to broker our distribution deals ourselves. So we brokered our domestic deal, which was North America, all North America rights, Canada and America. And then we had a separate international distributor that took the rest of the world wide rights, all rights. And and that's who both those companies are still working with. Our think, our own company, Veritas Films, uh, it's a distribution company and now owns a theater. They did they expanded our U.S. 
domestic theatrical offerings. And, and those were our main three distributors. I think, um, you know, the, the primary audience of this podcast are is is geared towards kind of the business of being a creative business of being a Love filmmaker. Um, Love so it. can you maybe talk a little bit about, you know, you say you broker those deals. Like, I mean, obviously only what you can say, but, um, sure. you know, did you go to a film market? Did you, how did you find yeah. the, those distributors in the first place? Yeah. First, let me just say this. Um, that I say to anyone that's at all interested in film, and I love that you have this podcast, uh, Craig, that focuses on this. But, you know, I went to NYU, MFA. Uh, it's one of the best film schools in the world. And, you know, my class of 30, I bet five are working in the film industry whatsoever. Yeah. Um, it's a very, very tough industry. And, unfortunately, most people do not treat it like a business. You know, it's called the film business, the movie business. And... They don't treat it that way at all. And and most people going into this career have no business know-with-all. Um, and, you know, that that's fine. It's just that at some point you have to understand that if your movies aren't making any money at all, yeah. it's going to be really tough to make more movies. Right. So it's it's necessary to have a business mind and to grow that aspect of your knowledge. and, and Or be willing to work with people that do. Right. True. Yeah. Yep find a good producer. And, and for myself too, you know, I, I used to only call myself a director and now I mm. probably call myself a producer. And sometimes I just produce, like I produced a film called Warning Shot with David Spade and Bruce Stern and James Earl Jones in the fall because it was a great project. They needed some of the experience that I had just gone through with Generational Sins and I was able mm-hmm. to help them out and just enjoy the business side of things, which is a very different part of your heart and soul and mind than the creative side of things. And it's fun to exercise both. Oh, absolutely. So yeah. for me, um, Generational Sins, we had this film. We're paving a new way, which isn't maybe the best business move, or it's definitely a, a much more risky business move. It's easier to often recreate and stick to the formula. But we felt convicted and motivated to make this film and really didn't want to make any other kind of movie. Um, and then we had to find who would be interested in this kind of product. And and also, uh, you know, it was really just a lot of experimenting and testing how we talked about the film to different distributors and to different audiences. Our, our biggest first leap into this, um, just a couple months after set wrapped, uh, we shot in the month of July and August, Generational Sins of 2016. And then flash forward a couple months later to November, we went to the American Film Market, which is in Santa Monica at the Lowe's mm-hmm. Hotel biggest film market in the world there's a billion dollars worth of business that happens there every year and all the major players and all the distributors are there and so it's a really um you know necessary film market to attend if uh you know if you're looking to get into distribution and is that where you kind of made most of your first inroads Uh, yes yes it's very critical yeah i mean i think as part of a film school education students should be required to go to the American film market because it's the largest film market in the world. And really it doesn't, like they don't care about fluff at all. Like it's just numbers totally. Like it's Mm -hmm. like a fish market. They'll slice and dice your film (laughs) and they'll tell you how much it's worth, you know, on DVDs in, you know, South America. And there's, you know, they're not, they're not kissing up to you. You can't kiss up to them. They know who your talent is. They know your genre. They know. They see how the film looks, and so it's just very cut and dry, which is really nice because 
so often there's so much crap that you have to cut through to actually get to what your film's actually worth. And at the American film market, everyone cuts straight through the crap, and it's great. Very refreshing. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I'm yeah, planning on probably. going next year for the first time, so at, I'm excited for that. Yeah. With a few films. You will love it. I've gone four years now and love it. Uh, um, so do you I have any there, tips for anyone that if, that might be attending something like that? Uh, any of the film markets in the first for their first time? Yeah, so... There's a proper way to do a film market, and then there's the way that we did it. Um, <laughs> there is a, yeah, so there's a book that I would recommend to you. It's called Gorilla Rep, I believe. And okay. it, it's all about the American film market and how to do it proper. Now, I didn't know this book existed my first two years. So my first year, what we did, which is what you're not supposed to do, but who cares, is that we just, you know, what they do is they take the Santa Monica... Lowe's Hotel, which is this giant hotel, they move out all the furniture, all the beds, all the desks, and they make all these hotel rooms into offices for all the distributors of the world. So what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to, months in advance, set up meetings uh, for the whole week that you just go from distributor to distributor. They already know your film. You know them. Mm. You know, you've, you've hammed it up and whatever, established a relationship, and they've seen either a trailer or, or the actual film itself. And you go there mostly as a face-to-face handshake meeting. And it's very efficient. Well, what we did my first and second year is we just walked into any doorway where someone wasn't already having a meeting and just started saying, like, hey, you're looking to buy a film? Or are you in acquisition? Are you selling films? Are you buying films? Trying to get a bearing on what their business was because there's a lot of different kinds of businesses there. And it was brutal. You know, it's almost like cold calling, except for it's in person. And some of the bigger players are like, you know, get the hell out of our room. But it was a great education. And it also quickly taught me how to pitch films. Whenever, like, someone's trying to, like, get you out of their hotel room, it it taught me how to quickly pitch it in, like, 15, 30 seconds. And if I could snag them as they're trying to get rid of me, then I've, and then I've executed my job well. And I've sold my film well. I'm, I'm talking about it in a way that is attractive to businessmen. Yeah, I think that that kind of experience is invaluable, having those. I mean, uh, people call them, like, skill acquisition. It's like putting in the reps, right? Like, literally putting in attempt after attempt after attempt until they see one. Uh, and then you get really yeah. good at it over time. Yeah, and, like, you'll have, like, a log line for your film. Like, generational sins, my log line, I can say it you know, asleep or in a coma. It's about two brothers who return home to reconcile with the alcoholic and abusive father. That says a lot. Um, it was never that catchy until I went to AFM. And obviously I'd say it with a lot more pizzazz and make it dramatic, but um, it was never that catchy until I went to AFM. And so I learned how to like summarize in a log line in one to one and a half sentences what my film's about and not get on tangents or waste the valuable time of these distributors. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, and that's invaluable. And so well, we cool. just so went What was that book that you much, mentioned again? I think it's called The Gorilla Rep. I have okay. the Audible audio book version of it, and I listen to it now a couple times before I go to AFM. Okay, and now well, I have, I'll link that in the show notes because I'll check that right? too. Yeah, yeah, it's worthwhile. So do you have anything else? I know you're running out of time here. Do you have anything else you'd like to add, kind of, especially on the business side that you could, um, advice you could give to people that are trying to cut their teeth on that side of the business. Yeah, you know, Craig, there's a lot of business tips and tricks. What's interesting about the Hollywood industry 
know, you can go to the best film schools in the world, but they won't teach you this at all. And I yeah. still learn on a daily basis what to do and what not to do. And pre-sales, you know, that's a huge, I mean, that could be a podcast all by itself. Pre-sales, international pre-sales, how to get funding for your film. My biggest piece of advice or takeaway to anyone listening or the filmmakers is it depends. I guess it depends on where you're at. But primarily, I would say, you know, make the best film for the smallest budget, of course. Don't make it for such a small budget, like $5,000 or something, that it's honestly painful to watch. Like, it has to be, you know, what's, what's tough about this is that, you know, an independent film, if it shows in a theater like Generational Sins did or, you know, Warning Shot, it, it, it's going to compete against Disney's half a billion dollar Marvel picture, you know? So, yep. and audiences don't have the director or the producer or the writer there to lament to them and to explain why their movie sucks. So, you know, once I, once I hit export on shooting heroin in two months and we have a picture lock and I can never change it creatively again, I also will never be able to make excuses for it again because it doesn't matter. You know, I can say all I want. I can try and like say like, oh, well, we didn't have a budget for this or, you know, the actor was absent or we couldn't find them or we didn't know the lines or, you know, Right. On fire. It doesn't matter because I will never get to explain to all my theater audiences why the film sucks. So I have to make it as good as possible and then just embrace it for whatever warts it may have. How, you know, you, you'll know more intimately than anyone else. You'll know the criticisms that you have against your film. But you just step it up every film. I feel like each film I make, it's 10x better than the previous film. So even though mm-hmm. I'm proud of generational sins, I loved it. Shooting heroin is 10 times better. And, and so if, you're, if you just keep creating, making it better and better, and then looking towards how you can find a niche audience to sell your film to, whether it be through a distributor or whether you independently distribute yourself, which is perfectly viable today, I think you'll be on a really good footing to start a successful film career. Well, thank you, Spencer. I think that was entire thing was great uh, and that's some good advice there and i appreciate it too so i'm gonna right. check out that book uh like i said i'll put that in the show notes but where can people find you if they want to um connect my main website is just spencerfomar.com my main company's website right now is veritasart.org v-e-r-i-t-a-s arts.org and that's where you can find out about distribution our theater our films and uh some of the different offerings that we have including a film festival and some education. All right, great. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Producers Podcast. We'll be back next week on Tuesday once again, and I'll see you then. Thanks for listening. Bye.